Welcome to episode 17 of the Vibrant You Health Show with Blake Bars. Today, Blake interviews Dr. Christopher Woodworth. Dr. Woodworth discusses FLCCC, that's Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care, protocols, and much more. Dr. Woodworth is a medical doctor specializing in general surgery. He received his medical degree in 1990 from New York Medical College. He completed his general surgery residency in 1995 at Berkshire Medical Center in Massachusetts, and he is certified by the American Board of Surgery. Dr. Woodworth also served a one-year medical mission in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now on to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vibrant You Health Show, episode 17. I'm honored and privileged to have my guest today, Dr. Christopher Woodworth. Thank you so much, doctor, for joining me today. You're welcome. Thank you. Dr. Christopher Woodworth is a medical doctor specializing in general surgery. And Dr. Woodworth, you've worked here at, you were a surgeon at Grand Ronde Hospital for quite a few years, 10 years? Yeah, 11, 11 years. Yeah, that's right. And you've been a surgeon for over 20 years? Uh, yeah, about 26 years now. Okay. And you received your medical degree in 1990 from New York Medical College. Right. Completed your general surgery residency in 1995 at Berkshire Medical Center in Massachusetts, and right. you were certified by the American Board of Surgery, and you also served on a mission in Tashkent, Uzbekistan? Uzbekistan, right. <clears throat> yeah, for a little over a year. Okay, very cool. And tell me, you um, uh, married with children? Yes, I have. Uh, my wife's name is Jolie, and uh, we have uh, nine children altogether, but three, uh, three still at home. Uh, the six, six uh, older ones are adults and doing their own thing. Okay, that's uh, quite a family. That's it is. Great. That's uh, congr- you know, that's uh, quite an accomplishment in itself. Yeah. Well, children are a blessing of the Lord, and so we've uh, we we believe that. So yeah, glad we had them. Yeah. Jewels in the crown. Yeah, that's right. So um, now, how did you get into medicine, doctor? Tell me a little bit about. How well, you know, my, my father was uh, an osteopathic physician. Um, he became, uh, he actually attended medical school when I was young, young fella. Uh, he went to school when I was five, graduated when I was nine. And uh, so I kind of grew up with that influence. And um, I think by the time I was about 12 or so, I decided, that that was going to be for me, um, you know, maybe had some uh, early setbacks in, in school and stuff, but I just kept plugging away and, and uh, I ended up uh, attending Oral Roberts University for the first two years and then I ended up at New York Medical College uh, and graduated from there. But um, yeah, okay. uh, deciding, deciding on surgery was also kind of delayed. I uh, decided in my fourth year of medical school that that's what I actually wanted to do. So. Oh, okay. All right, cool. So you have general surgery, so you do really a diverse range of, of operations. Right. Yeah, I do, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I do, uh, you know, bowel surgery, small bowel, large bowel, um, gallbladders, hernias, appendix, um, breast surgery, skin surgery, you know, uh, I can do some rotational flaps and things like that. I do, I dabble in a little bit of plastics. Um, skin cancers, you know, 
lumps and bumps. Mm-hmm. So yeah. basically, I, I tell people the easy way to think about it is that you, you, you take care of the soft parts of the body. So, uh-huh. okay, very yeah. cool. Well, so that's um, that gives you a little bit of diversity uh, experience and really the whole body. That's right. Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. just doing the same thing, taking out tonsils all day, every day, or that's right. Uh, yeah. What do you think uh, like pros and cons of general surgery versus a more specialized? Well, of course, if you're subspecialized, uh, you can you can become an expert in one particular procedure, one particular organ system. Um, but I think, you know, there's a big need for general surgery all over the country and really all over the world. Um, there's no uh, really no substitute for having someone who can take care of uh, trauma or the acute, uh, the acute gallbladder, things like that. Right. Uh, so yeah, we're, I think we'll, we'll always be needed. Yeah. Well, so very neat. So that's a, that's an interesting profession. I'd love to talk to you more about that, but let's get right into the meat and potatoes of, of, you know, kind of the purpose of this interview. Um, So tell me a little bit about your general reaction to our nation's response to COVID um, what do you think the biggest weakness in our approach and what would you have liked to see done differently? Yeah, that's really, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's important to really examine that. <clears throat> what, um, what I think we have uh, done poorly, honestly, is um, we've, we've not been, um, at least nationally, uh, been accepting some of the advice of some people that are a lot smarter than me when it comes to uh, repurposing medications and uh, talking about, you know, talking about the patient himself or herself in terms of uh, deficiencies uh, and this sort of thing. Um, You know, it's almost as if the American medical system has decided, you know, has adopted this fatalistic uh, idea about COVID. Uh, I mean, it's clearly serious in some people. Uh, We're not doubting that. Right. But I think uh, when we just assume that people cannot be treated at all unless they develop severe pulmonary problems or something like that, I think it's a huge mistake. Right. So when, I think we've done some very poor, um, you know, poor public health when it comes to stuff like this. I think the, the, there's been a big push towards vaccination, which uh, has been experimental, really. And uh, by, you know, by... Uh, any definition of terms, it's clearly a palliative treatment as opposed to a vaccine. So, um, you know, and again, uh, I think highly untested. Right. So, well, we're testing it now. We're testing it now. Right. Right. Yeah. We have lots of, uh, we have a sort of a a captive audience, um, you know, and there there have been uh, significant side effects. I'm not saying everybody gets side effects, but there, right. there seems to be some. And again, you know, I'm not some anti-vax person. I don't, mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten all, all kinds of other vaccines, um, mm-hmm. but this was uh, pretty new and uh, hadn't really been tested. In fact, I decided that, um, you know, early on, uh, you know, I was maybe going to get it. And then uh, I started doing some reading and hearing about some things, particularly myocarditis and stuff like that. And I decided to hold off. And mm-hmm. fr- uh, frankly, I'm glad I did. Um, yeah. I've already had COVID myself. So, mm-hmm. um, 
And, you know, mine was not terrible. I went ahead and I did get the antibody infusion and I went ahead and did all the, the nutraceutical type stuff we're going to talk about. Right. Um, and I did pretty well. I, 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 I did have to uh, use a steroid inhaler, inhaler for a, a short period of time. Uh, and that was helpful. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. Um, that we decided at some point, it seemed like we just decided that, you know, we were going to, as a nation, we're going to vaccin vaccinate our way out of this problem. Right. Um, and we weren't going to, we weren't going to accept really any other option. Um, right. And certain, certain doctors started to say, Hey, look, we can make possibly treat this. Yeah. Uh, you know, granted, we don't have time to put it through the whole, all the bells and whistles of a clinical trial. Um, right. But the, to some extent, we need to react to situations and and try things and figure out what's going to work, right? Right. Um, exactly. And certain doctors started to talk about that. Um, Dr. Ryan Cole, um, doctors like Peter McCullough, uh, right. we're going to go over some of these treatment protocols. But mm -hmm. they they started. They've said I've heard both of those doctors say that they believe they could have, if we had used this treatment protocol. Um, we may potentially could have saved up to 85% of those who have passed. Um, mm -hmm. In the history of anything, do, have we said when you're sick, you know, just go home and wait till if you need to be hospitalized, you know, like right. I know just even from being in the um, natural foods and supplements arena that we always talk about and what we learn through ex personal experience is to hit it really hard from the very first sign of imbalance. So right. the first time at that night, when you start to feel a little scratchy in your throat or a little congestion or whatever, you start pumping the vitamin C, the herbal remedies, the whatever, whatever things you got and just start hitting it really hard. And oftentimes you can either not get it. It'll be like two days and very mild and over with colds, you know, and, and little bugs. Um, and so even with that, so, so with a coronavirus, that's a novel coronavirus that we haven't seen before. Um, it seems like we ought to with all the things that we've used to fight other bugs in the past, we should try hitting this thing hard from the very beginning, not go home and wait. Right. You know? Because once, right. even with supplements, once you are, once it takes hold, then you might be able to reduce symptoms a little, but you're not going to just completely kick it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's important that from very early on to hit it aggressively. <clears throat> I agree. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you mentioned vitamin C, uh, you know, vitamin D also is extremely important. We, um, we've, uh, in fact, uh, you, you mentioned Dr. Cole, who, uh, who recognized that, uh, you know, really, um, particularly for, for darker skin folks who don't, uh, who don't produce vitamin D as well. Um, they were, you know, they weren't doing as well with COVID and, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty clear to me. And I think it's pretty clear to many, uh, in the medical establishment now that, you know, what we consider a normal vitamin D level is uh, probably too low. Um, you know, we probably need to be up uh, probably twice as high as uh, <clears throat> what we're measuring as the lower limits of normal. Um, so yeah, as, and, and we'll see what the protocols that uh, mm -hmm. the recommendation is that we, uh, we probably take four or 5,000 units daily uh, and, and, and when we're sick, probably, probably more than that, you know, yeah. not necessarily for an extended period, but for certainly for, uh, for, um, right. you know, for the time you're ill. You know? Right. Yeah. And I, I, I think, um, getting your vitamin D levels checked is a good thing. Um, a couple times a year, um, is what Dr. Cole talks about and knowing what that is helps, you know, how you need to supplement. 
I had actually right. known, I knew what my levels were. Um, and I was up in the really good range because I'd been taking D for about two years. And sure. um, then I knew I didn't need to hit it really hard when I got sick. But if you're low, if you know you're lower, if you're not sure, um, right. I know like uh, Jennifer Armstrong and Encore Medical Group talks about hitting vitamin D 50,000 international units for three days, just so you get your levels up in a short uh -huh. period and then going to 10,000 a day um, yeah. after that. Um, yeah. and through the winter, um, winter months, we're not getting the D, we're not synthesizing the D through the sun. Right. Um, actually, the best times to, to synthesize vitamin D is between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Right. Um, and mm -hmm. the actually the face and the palms of the hands synthesize it best. Uh -huh. uh, and the darker your skin and the further north you are, the further away from the equator, whether north or south, the heart the harder it is for you to synthesize vitamin D. So something to keep in mind. And um, actually vitamin D is a is not a vitamin, it's a pro-hormone that regulates, one right. of its really important functions is regulating the immune system. So if we're vitamin D deficient, we're immunosuppressed. That's right. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's a fat soluble uh, substance. Um, so you do store it, you can, um, you know, if you, once you get the levels up, they, they, they can stay up for a while. Uh, which is why, you know, the 50,000 units uh, for a few days is, is not a bad idea when you're really ill. Um, so, yeah. So um, well, let's get into this. Um, I think it'd be good to kind of look at some of these, these treatment protocols that we're talking about. Why aren't mm -hmm. we hearing about these protocols from the mainstream medical and the media and the government, you know, if um, what's the deal there? Any thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that, again, they, um, you know, and this goes back probably multiple decades, but I think there's definitely been a push for um, big phar pharmaceutical companies to want to have new drugs, non-patented, sorry, patented drugs and patented vaccines and things like that, because of course they make more money. Um, when it comes to repurposing medications that are off patent, I think, uh, uh, clearly, you know, people don't, you know, the, the drug companies don't do as well and that sort of thing. I think, uh, so a patented drug is a lot more profitable that, you know, I don't even know, but I, you know, astronomical markups on those, you know, 3000% yeah. or something, uh, like for instance, um, Ivermectin was off patent and it was about $3 a treatment and Elizabeth right. was on patent and about $3,000 a treatment. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And those are, you know, that might be comparing apples and oranges, but, but the, uh, you know, Ivermectin as a prevention and as a, uh, as a treatment, as an actual antiviral treatment seems to have worked very well in many, in about 60 different, uh, studies around the globe. And unfortunately, um, you know, it's been pretty, uh, pretty squelched, pretty, um, pretty poo-pooed here in America. Um, but clearly, um, parts of India got got out of trouble using ivermectin. Right. Um, you know, ivermectin is a cheap drug, but unfortunately, now it's getting more expensive because so many people want it. Because right. well, of, and, and insurance is covering it. Yeah, and insurance is not covering it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I just went. Um, actually, I had COVID a few weeks ago, and uh, 
I actually did get a prescription for a ivermectin from Encore mm -hmm. Medical Group. Um, right. I did five days. I followed the FLCCC guidelines um, on their um, early patient, early outpatient treatment protocol. Did a five-day treatment, um, and I, I believe it it helped. Um, of course, I was doing a bunch of stuff, um, right. and I paid about two hundred sixty dollars at Red Cross Pharmacy for it. And I don't, uh -huh. I think it was substantially cheaper before, you know, yeah. if, if normally if your doctor prescribes you something, insurance is going to cover it if it's for an illness, mm -hmm. right? And so <laughs> that's right now they're deciding they're not going to cover it. Um, right. And also um, that it's, and, and then the price is even up. Um, yeah. So, you know, that's kind of unfortunate. And that's where you see people um, trying to seek out like the horse paste or horse medicine because, um, you know, it's so much more, it's so much more affordable. Um, yeah. uh, and so, um, you know, I think uh, that's an interesting point about the mainstream, not getting this information about this, the treatment protocols. And even when there's, there's, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Um, I think one of the things that's important, you know, if you, if you don't, if you're not, um, no matter what you believe, whether you get vaccinated or not get vaccinated, or whether you believe in ivermectin or whether you, whatever the case may be, I think it's important that we don't take this lightly. Um, and so, oh, doctor, I think I might've lost you. Sorry, hold on just a second. Let me, uh, I'm gonna have to find, find a different spot. No worries. Give me a second. Yep, no problem. So um, I'll um, talk just a little bit about yeah. that. Um, you know, just to not take it lightly. You know, um, I think um, certainly we're seeing certain people that are really struggling with this disease, and it's not something that we need to mess around with. Um, I know that I personally chose not to get vaccinated. I personally um, uh, weighed the risks and weighed. Um, you know, I considered it prayerfully, thoughtfully. I did, I have really studied a lot about the immune system, a lot about um, preventions and treatments. And, uh, and, and when I did get sick, I hit this thing with everything that I knew how to do it. One, um, I knew it was right. coming because my wife got it before me. And so I was already home quarantined with her um, for a few days before I got it. And then when um, when I did, so I was already hitting extra C, I was hitting extra D, I was hitting extra zinc. Um, I was hitting all, I mean, I have a protocol that's quite extensive. I'm probably take about right. 20 different supplements. And so I was mm -hmm. being real aggressive with it right from the beginning, because I know that if I am real aggressive from the beginning, I'll have a lot better chance at kicking it or. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, you know, and this, I will say this bug did take hold a little harder. Um, for sure, it was it was quite strong and it was harder to kick. It wasn't something that I just like, like I'm used to with normal colds and stuff, where I can just kind right. of like totally um, beat them pretty quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. so it was, and and um, a couple things um, that I'll get into with the outline. So I'll just show I'll just show you guys right now. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen. Mm -hmm. um, let me um, show you this page here. 
One sec. Blake, do you have the one that shows the um, shows the general course of the disease? The sort of the the one the you know the early right yeah yeah because that that's uh, that's often uh, quite helpful. Yeah, um, in terms so, of understanding. Yeah, let's so let's talk real quick about prevention, and then let's yeah. get into um, and then we can get into the treatment. Um, sure. So, so really, one of the things um, that I've that Linda Clayville, the owner of uh, Nature's Pantry and certified nutritionist, really instilled in me, and a lot of the people and a lot of the books I've been reading over the last several years, and um, is really about building up your immune system, building up your health through the what we like to call the eight natural laws of health, um, and those natural laws of health are water nutrition, water, um, sleep, exercise, sunshine, fresh air, temperance, and trusting God. And, and, and so when you, when you practice those principles and you're getting plenty of water, you're getting really good quality water and enough, half your body weight in ounces, when you're eating, you know, five to nine servings of vegetables every day, um, mm -hmm. You are getting your sunshine and your fresh air and you're getting your exercise regularly um, and your, your, you know, temperance is avoiding, you know, uh, moderation with alcohol and um, right. unhealthy food and unhealthy habits and, you know, let's, let's have some self-control, right? right. And, then, and, and then trusting God is really the foundation for me of like spiritual health and mental health and, and really physical health. There's a Bible verse that says, a, um, you know, a joyful spirit is medicine for the soul. And, right. you know, when we're down, when we're fearful, when we're anxious, where it really dries up the bones, it dries up the health, it affects our health. And so um, when we have that sound um, spiritual health and we have a attitude of gratitude we uh, learn how to forgive people we have loving relationships um, mm -hmm. you know for me a relationship with god really helps me um loving relationships with other people um, yeah. and, and when we have that we're really building up over time mm -hmm. a really strong foundation for health yeah. yeah and then you're putting yourself not only in a place with a strong immune system for acute illness but you're also helping prevent um, some of these chronic diseases that we're seeing in our nation, like um, obesity and heart disease and cancer. You know, right. um, the thing, and we're 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 also going to be in a position to better utilize um, stronger preventions, uh, stronger mm -hmm. interventions like pharmaceuticals or surgery or things as they, as you need them, if you're, if you're healthy, you got a lot better chance of getting through that and recovering from it much better. Right. Um, and, and so those really, that's really the foundation. And if you go to naturespantry.life, we also have these flyers in the store. Uh, um, we talk about these principles. We have a flyer here on the website and in the store that talks about these principles and how important they are and why they're important. Um, and and um, we also do, the Vibrant You Health Challenge, which we're actually doing one in, in the month of February. It's a four-week challenge, and we, we you actually apply these principles in your life. Um, you know, we can talk about this stuff till we're blue in the face, but until we actually start applying them and practicing them and engaging in our health, it's not going to do us any good. 
And so that's why we do these health challenges so people can actually engage, have a, have a support group and an accountability group to tackle these habits and to learn these fundamental health principles and apply them in their lives because it's really the small habits that lead to big change over time. That's uh, right. And, and so then when you take that foundation and you add in some key nutrients um, like vitamin C, this is, this is really what I do and what I did during um, when I had COVID and when I have other bugs, but mm -hmm. I do lots of vitamin C every day. What I actually take between eight and 12,000 milligrams per day. This is um, from like Dr. Thomas Levy talks about this, several orthomolecular doctors. Um, you know, you got to look everything you got. This is not meant to be prescriptive. This is just what I do based on my own research. And right. so you definitely always need to look into things for yourself and talk to your own doctor. Um, if your doctor understands nutrition and holistic health, um, even better. But um, vitamin D, five to 10,000 a day. Zinc, 30 to 100 milligrams a day. I was taking 100 milligrams a day for mm -hmm. the, through the whole thing up, up until I got it and through it. And yeah. it was one of the things zinc regulates in the body is your sense of taste and smell. And so um, mm -hmm. zinc also helps stop viral replication. So as soon as you're sick, yeah. you're going to be depleted of that very quickly. And I think that's a part possibly of why people are losing their taste and smell. So I actually sure. didn't ever lose mine. My wife did. I think I might've been taking a little more zinc. I was also taking the quercetin, which is a zinc ionophore that helps get zinc to the cell. Um, if you think of zinc as a repairman, quercetin is the doorman that lets zinc into the cell to do the repairing. That's right. Uh, I did NAC, NAC and glutathione um, together while I was sick. Um, Encore Medical Group talks about NAC preventatively, but as soon as you get sick, start taking NAC and glutathione as well mm -hmm. together. Um, they also do a, a virus drip that has um, NAC, glutathione, and um, alpha lactoic acid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you do you have any comments on the on that what, the glutathione, the NAC, and the alpha lipoic acid? Well, for me, you know, of course, it's it's kind of new new information, but uh, you know, from what I understand, N-acetylcysteine has been used for uh, for uh, you know for for congestion and things like that. But uh, glutathione is a very uh, powerful antioxidant. Um, and um, yeah, it seems like uh, these are, these are important uh, substances when you're, when you're sick. Right. Uh, so um, yeah. yeah, but I'm just starting to learn about them myself. So doctor, you are, are you, have you been working a little at Encore Medical Group now? Yeah, I've been uh, doing some work there, um, just uh, trying to help out some COVID patients and doing some other stuff. I'm, I'm also going to probably uh, be um, doing some small procedures and things like that there, cool. at, least for, at least for the interim. That's awesome. Um, well, I want to get into um, talking about the FLCCC treatment protocol, which is what yeah. you use. Um, uh, we'll just go through this real briefly. Um, you know, one of the things we're seeing in critically ill COVID patients is a deficiency in key nutrients, really like the alphabet, vitamin, mm -hmm. alphabet nutrients, vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, vitamin D, um, you know, and, and vitamin E. Um, and so I like to take the alphabet vitamins. I also take a multi in addition to that. Um, I take a B complex. I take a vitamin E. I take a vitamin A. Um, I take... Uh, magnesium is a really, um, really powerful one. There's a book called Magnesium by Dr. Thomas Levy that um, is a really a game changer. 
Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you can get all the details on this protocol at our website or in the store. I'm happy to talk to anybody about this anytime. Um, right. You know, it, I think um, it's important to realize that, um, you know, just because you're taking these vitamins or you're doing all the precautionary things is not a foolproof thing. You know, right. not, it doesn't mean you're you're invincible to COVID. Yeah. You know, it means you're putting yourself in as strong as position as you can to where when you get it, you can handle it better. Is that's really right. hope. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so let's jump over to the FLCCC treatment protocol. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that I um, learned about actually from Encore, and I've heard talked about quite a bit from other doctors. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Pierre Corey helped develop this treatment protocol. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. And, and he's a very, very uh, well-published, uh, very uh, respected pulmonologist. Okay. Now, if you go to flccc.net or covid19criticalcare.com, it goes to the same place. But Or if you just internet search flccc, you're going to find this page. And under the protocols tab, you're going to have the iMask Plus, which is the prevention and early outpatient treatment. You're going to have the math plus, which is the hospital treatment, and they also have an ICU protocol, and then you're going to have the recovery protocol for long haul COVID. So do, which one would you like to talk about, Dr. Yeah, Bates? so um, let's, uh, you Go. know, the, 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 the early outpatient treatment probably should be where we start. Um, and uh, yeah, let's uh, scoot down there. And of course, of course, a lot of this uh, you've talked about already with the yeah. um, with the nutraceuticals, what we would call nutraceuticals, the zinc, right. the ivermectin, the D, the D and the C and the right. quercetin. Um, you know, they've uh, they he's also got their uh, ivermectin as chronic prevention. Um, I have not used that yet, but uh, you know, again, we've we've gotten into situations where it's been hard to get the medication, but. Um, um, Red Cross is filling it. And uh, if anybody is interested in using ivermectin as prevention, I would certainly be willing to help them out with that. And if they want to and talk, contact Encore to get, get in touch with you. Mm -hmm. That's right, that's right. Encore Medical Group here in town. Um, yeah. If you just internet search Encore Medical Group Legrand, or um, mm -hmm. we have information here at Nature's Pantry as well for them. Right. And chronic prevention and early treatment, um, you know, we're talking 0.2 milligrams per kilogram, um, uh, which, you know, what we've been doing for treatment, and we'll get into that a little later, is that we seem to be, um, it, excuse me, hold on just a second. That's okay. Yeah, I actually did the, um, I, calc I did the math and calculated for my body weight, um, and I actually did 0.4 milligrams per kilogram over five days, which you know, was a higher, um, I could have gone, what was actually prescribed to me was the 0.2 for a 10 days, but I yeah. doubled it up because I went and looked at the FLCCC and I was like, you know, I'm going to hit this hard for five yeah. days. And for people that are actually infected, I've, I've been using the 0.6 milligram per kilogram. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hefty dose, but you know, again, ivermectin is a pretty safe medication. Yeah. Um, and this is what uh, McCullough and Corey have both, both been recommending, uh, particularly when we were going through the Delta 
variant, mm -hmm. um, we were thinking that uh, higher doses of ivermectin might be more helpful. Right. Right. And then um, it talks about the mouthwash two times a day, um, antiseptic mouthwash. Right. Um, and then also an iodine, anything with, you know, I haven't done the iodine. My wife did get some like Q-tips with iodine on them that you could kind of swab the nose with. Right. Yeah. Povidone iodine. iodine um, it's, and I think uh, that's kind of more of a preventative method. Uh, right. The idea would be it would be it would be available or used to decrease viral load in the nasal passages. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so there's the prevention one and early treatment. Um, melatonin as well. I actually um, was taking an andrographis supplement um, when I was sick and it had five milligrams of melatonin and I was the I was pretty sick for a few days and then I was starting to feel better, but I was just so tired. And I yeah. think part of the reason was because I was taking this andrographis with melatonin and I was taking like 10 milligrams. Right. Um, and so watch it out for that if that's in something, but it is a really, it right. is really helpful for prevention yeah. and treatment according to several studies. That's and, right. Um, but take it at bedtime. Yeah. Yeah. And then have you heard much about black cumin seed as an alternative for ivermectin? No, I just got introduced to this when I started looking at Dr. Corey's study. Um, so I don't know if you uh, if you have some information on that. Yeah. So I mean, I I have quite a few people coming in the store and getting that. Um, and you know, from what I understand, is it similar to ivermectin in that it is an anti-parasitic properties? Mm -hmm. um, ivermectin actually has four, I believe, four different um, properties or or um mechan mechanical is not the right word but like um things that it does basically um and i think one's an anti-parasitic one's an antiviral is it anti-inflammatory mm -hmm. uh, and one more and i think um the black cumin seed is similar in that and it has some of those same properties right um, so we've been trying to keep that on the shelf here at the store and that's yeah. a new one that's a new one for me as well i actually heard from um, that actually wormwood was similar to ivermectin, and we have that at the store as well. Um, wormwood is something that people have used for parasites for a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, um, you know, that's interesting. I'm interested to know what the how the antiparasitic effect helps with COVID. Um, right. You know, yeah, well, again, that's uh, it's it's an off label use, but uh, Again, by what has been uh, tried uh, internationally, it seems to have had <clears throat> significant effects, particularly in India and other places where really they had no access to even the, having the vaccine. Right. So, um, and so here we have the efficacy of ivermectin, and it talks about how it is a potent antiviral and anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's really right. the the active use in in regards to COVID, you know, we know inflammation certainly plays a big part um, in COVID and the, obviously it's a virus. Um, right. And it talks about having 64 controlled trials, 32 of them are random, randomized, 16 were double-blinded, gold standard. It had won the Nobel Prize. Um, you know, it's it was on the WHO's list of most safe and um, useful medications or whatever Mm -hmm. um, and so, so let's jump over to, then we're going to go into the hospital treatment protocol.
Um, yeah. Before we get there, let's yeah. uh, go back to. Um, yeah. Hold on just a second. Yeah. Go back to the others really quick. Yep. Because. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, post exposure. Where's the actual treatment protocol? Yeah. Let's go to page two. Page two of that. Oh, yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I think you got to go at the top, maybe. I don't know. It's going to let you do it. Oh, yep. There we go. There you go. There you go. So here's the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. You know, uh, you want to be getting 0.6 milligrams per kilogram uh, with the um, ivermectin. Uh, this nitazoxanide is, is new for me, but it's, a, it's apparently uh, synergistic with that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still have to do a little study on that. Um, of course, we mentioned the, the nutraceuticals mm -hmm. and aspirin, uh, is, aspirin acts as a blood thinner. Yes. And that's important. Um, the other one, uh, I know that, uh, nature, uh, sorry, um, Encore has been using is natokinase, which actually has some, uh, intrinsic, um, uh, anti, <clears throat> you know, um, right. what I'm looking for thrombolytic, right. thrombolytic, uh, and uh, anti uh, yeah, coagulant too. Mm -hmm. That's um, right. And, and yes, natokinase, we've had, Encore's been sending people down here to the store to get that. That's a natural one. You know, as right. well as as well as well eating a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, plenty right. of water is another factor there in keeping your mm -hmm. blood, um, you know, more thinner and um, flowing better. I could right. go into details on that, but I won't. So keep going. Yeah, so the idea, though, with uh, starting aspirin early uh, is that um, the the effect. So if you can split the uh, the COVID infection up into three uh, three sort of weeks, if you can think about it that way, the first week is the week of viral re replication, which is where you really want to try to do everything you can to work against the viral replication in your body. The second week is the dangerous week where you can get the over response by the body, the so-called cytokine storm. And uh, that seems to be, for people that develop pulmonary symptoms, that also seems to set them up for this hypercoagulable state. So right. it's not a bad idea. There's no downside to going on aspirin early. And right. so I generally recommend that everybody goes on an aspirin a day. Uh, and in certain circumstances, particularly if pulmonary symptoms develop, it's not a bad idea to have uh, something else on board, even like Eliquis or something like that. Right. So, right. Um, and then the, um, the, well, we were talking about supplements, but the nutritional therapeutics here, it talks about curcumin, which is tum the, that's right. the, from turmeric, which is an anti-inflammatory. Then mm -hmm. we have the nigella sativa, which is a black cumin seed we talked about. So that must be an anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah, honey. I mean, any, anything working against inflammation is probably really helpful because what's happening is right. after the viral replication phase, it seems like your body is now, uh, based right. on the, the, use, uh, the macrophages in your lungs, it, they're, they're invading and they're destroying virus, but they're also, you know, they're creating lots of havoc and there's lots of uh, inflammatory mediators present in the lungs, which is why... Um, which is why uh, some people uh, do, don't do as well when they've got uh, uh, all this going on in the, in the pulmonary situation. Right, right, yes. And it's interesting too, uh, the inflammation, 
the um, cardi the the um, what's the right cardi cardiac health uh, any heart health um, yeah but it's all related and and the thing about our standard American diet today is it's a very inflammatory diet it's right. a diet that's really bad for your heart uh, uh -huh. health is terrible for cholesterol blood pressure um you know really it, it actually inflames the arteries over time um right. we build up plaque that is actually injuring injuring the blood vessels over repeatedly right. um and then you have a if you have you know you think about it if our body's 70 percent water then mm -hmm. what goes what doesn't mix with water well oil cholesterol fat and if we're getting a diet that's really high in that stuff it's not really going to work very well and then our and then it makes sense that your blood would become more would become thicker would not flow as well your blood pressure is going to go up it's going to be harder for your heart to pump it um and whereas if you're getting a diet that's rich in water which is what is in plant foods then you're going to have thinner blood you're not going to be injuring the arteries your heart's not going to have to work as hard um and then secondly it's you know a whole food plant-based diet is also going to lead to you being in an ideal weight and and you're not going to have that obesity aspect and you're not going to have that inflammation aspect going on in your mm -hmm. body as well yeah um, yeah sugar in particular is a pretty uh a pretty significant inflammatory um substance that we probably get way too much of mm -hmm. yeah yeah i um i don't remember the exact dates um but uh like 100 years ago or 200 years ago the average sugar intake was like five pounds of sugar per year for the per, for mm -hmm. a person and now it's like 150 pounds yeah we're getting you know if the dose mm -hmm. makes the poison then we're yeah. certainly poisoning ourselves with the amount of sugar we're intaking mm -hmm. it completely yeah. destroys the immune system um, yeah. and leads to inflammation leads to gut problems leads to heart problems mm -hmm. leads to obesity i mean come on like um why you know it's all the stuff we've learned about it over the last couple of decades, it's like, why are we still allowing it even to be, you know, pumped into mm -hmm. our, onto our food shelves and into our children and into our body? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and ultimately I think uh, pe people just need to learn how to eat healthier, right. learn to keep themselves at an appropriate weight, you know, avoid smoking, avoid uh, overuse of alcohol. Like you said, I mean, mm -hmm. all these things are going to be, extremely helpful if you know because who knows you know we may get another virus in the future and i think if we're as a as a populace healthier physically we're going to do much better you know right you know it's it's interesting one of the arguments early on was you know we don't have time to get every fix everybody's diet and lifestyle you know mm -hmm. two years later we're still pushing the same thing and we right. and in reality you know you can really turn your health around in a matter of days Mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. there's certain going for a walk, boost your immune system instantly, but certain vitamins do um, getting a good night's sleep, um, you know, reducing stress in your life, getting eating, eating, an, you know, starting to eat an apple a day. Um, mm -hmm. There's simple things that, you know, we haven't been hearing about any of this from the so-called health professionals. It's right. like we just want a we just want something to fix. You know, we don't want to actually change anything about our diet and lifestyle. We just want a quick fix. You know, right? We've traded the fundamentals to health for mm -hmm. quick fixes and fast food. Mm -hmm. And does it feel like we're almost we've kind of been lulled to sleep by the 
medical advancements. It's almost like, oh, yeah. you know, we can just do whatever we want and then there'll be some pill or surgery or something to, to bail us out. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, sorry. So getting back to this before yeah. we get to hospital, um, the, uh, the second line agents, you know, basically if you've done all these upfront things, there, uh, Dr. Corey's recommending the spironolactone or dutasteride as antiandrogens because it seems like, uh, bec well, I, I think his reasoning was because men seem to do worse with, you know, with COVID, at least in terms of developing severe symptoms, right. that the uh, using an antiandrogen would make sense just for, you know, a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Again, not a lot of downside to these treatments. Fluvoxamine right. or fluoxetine is an anti uh, antidepressant that seems to uh, also be helpful. Yeah, and then of course of we mentioned the monoclonal antibody uh, mm -hmm. therapy earlier, right. uh, the prime, which uh, you know uh, I think they're making more available now. But right. um, I do know, know people who have gotten that from the hospital. I'm not 100% sure, but I think you have to be somewhat early in your. Um, yeah sickness and you also i think they're trying to ration it somewhat for people who have mm -hmm. conditions right yeah basically if you have hypertension or diabetes or obesity or things like that you're you're going to get uh more more uh what's the word i'm looking for uh priority more more, more priority exactly yeah. and uh yeah but but uh when it's not particularly pressed i think most people can get this if they request it and i would recommend that they request it because frankly you know we don't know how we're going to do with this um and i think the more things we can throw at it the better right um when when pulmonary symptoms develop i think uh you know getting on prednisone or methylprednisone is a good idea right uh, for a while we were using dexamethasone but uh corey thinks that uh dexamethasone doesn't quite have as much of a pulmonary effect as the uh, prednisone does. Mm -hmm. So that's why he's recommending that. Okay. Um, yeah. I have a loved one who um, knows that she does, when she gets a respiratory thing, she has asthma. Mm -hmm. She knows that steroids has helped, have really helped her. So right. she actually got us a, a prescription for that early on. Right. Right. Yeah. And again, so, you know, when people, start feeling ill, you know, and they know that this is around, you know, I think the important thing is that they, they learn to ask good questions and seek treatment early. You know, I think that's really important. It's, it, it should be stressed in this, uh, in this interview that people seek, you know, uh, I, I had a friend of mine who uh, was suffering with high fever and was just basically in bed for about six days before he called me. Right. Well, I mean, he, he ended up, doing okay but he ended up having to come into the hospital and mm -hmm. you know that'll get us into our second line treatment here but uh right but you know if we get if we get on things early i think it's much help uh, much more yeah. helpful yeah and i think um there's uh people who are maybe hesitant to be hospitalized or something or right. get admitted and so um they just kind of sit at home well right um we really need to not be taking this lightly we really need to make sure we're getting everything that's possible ahead of you know lined up i think one of the things is um doing our talking to our doctors and our you know whoever we need to talk to ahead of time to get figure out where you know go through this treatment go over the mm -hmm. doctor say hey can right. i get this if i start to get sick can i get any of this preventatively right and and, and keep asking until you find somebody who will help you with this exactly stuff. 
Exactly. I think that's important. Find out ahead of time because as soon as if you wait too long, you know, once you're sick, it's really hard to to manage any of this stuff and to get it taken care of. And, right. and so we need to be on the on top of the ball, um, especially when a lot of this stuff seems to be getting harder to do or to get. We just need to be, you know, we're really our best own advocate, you know, and our loved ones are our advocates. And so we really need to advocate for ourselves. Um, we need to know our own bodies. We need to have an intuition about our own health. And um, we need to be planning ahead to make sure we have a plan in place because um, just being against COVID or against vaccines um, isn't really a good strategy, you know, or... Right. We need to, if, if whatever you're going to do, whether you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. the, the different protocols, you, you need to have a good plan in place. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So um, let's see, let's just check out the, uh, the hospital. Okay. Yeah. Treatment. Let's go to the next one. I was going to say on the pulse oximeter, that was one thing that right. talked. I went and got, so yeah. that's just a little thing that goes on your finger that tells you your blood oxygen. Right, and very easy to get, and you can and you can have this at home. Yeah. Um, Red Cross has and, them. Right, and again, if uh, if it looks like you're going to need oxygen, you can certainly get oxygen at home. In fact, I've treated many patients with oxygen at home. They've never needed to go to the hospital. You know, they've gotten over the few days where they had some pulmonary issues, and then uh, then they started to improve. So. Uh, you know, just because you have to go on oxygen does not necessarily mean you're going to have to end up in the hospital. Right. Um, it's the the high flow oxygen, I guess, is something you'd have to be hospitalized for. Right. Yeah. Now, we're, if we're talking two or three liters, though, we're we're in good shape there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. And how can you get oxygen? Do you need to get it prescribed? You do have to have it prescribed. Yes. Okay. So that's something to get in line ahead of time as well. Mm -hmm. so we'll go down here to the hospital treatment protocol right again so uh methylprednisolone or you know is again the steroid this is a iv you know given iv um strong effect strong anti-inflammatory effects particularly for the lungs and that's why uh that's why it's being given um now dr uh, corey has been using ascorbic acid or vitamin c uh iv while they're in the hospital. Um, now, you know, he would like to give higher doses, but they don't let him do it. So, um, I, you know, because I've, I've heard him interviewed about this, but this is uh, what's actually on the protocol. So, yeah, the, I'm sorry, I was, uh, I distracted for a minute. You were talking about vitamin C, right? Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. this is the math. This is the math plus. You got mm -hmm. methylprednisolone, ascorbic acid, thiamine, and heparin. Um, yeah. that's the, uh, that's thiamine the is, is vitamin B1, I believe. Yes. Vitamin B1. Correct. Um, now talk about this ascorbic acid for a minute. You know, I've, I saw quite a few case studies. Um, I follow a orthomolecular.org. That's a, um, uh, um, they, they treat disease more with vitamins, with natural occurring molecules that are already in the body rather than mm -hmm. foreign substances. Um, right. disease is what there maybe is a deficiency and so they treat the deficiency um, right it's kind of the general idea ortho meaning the right and molecule is molecule so they're they're trying to right. get the right molecule in the body mm -hmm. and so anyway the, it's a really neat um you know i'm not saying that's the whole picture but it's it's a piece of it right and so yeah it's a piece um, of it. they right. i've seen quite a few case studies that they've had come out of other countries and 
where um, anywhere between 12 and 25,000 milligrams of intravenous vitamin C for three days has had tremendous results. And, right. and I've heard of, you know, I actually, um, I have a loved one who was getting 50,000 milligrams of vitamin C intravenously for cancer um, mm -hmm. three times a week. Um, and so I'm familiar with it. And I read um, Dr. Thomas Levy's book, Curing the Incurable, vitamin right. C toxins and viral or infectious diseases. And he talks a lot about how intravenous vitamin C and oral vitamin C in large doses have been very effective for um, respiratory or, or for viral infections, period. Um, actually, polio, there was a doctor, I think it was Dr. Klinner, who treated 60 out of 60 polio patients with mega doses of vitamin C. And mm -hmm. they all were, they were all clinically cured of polio and none of them got deformities as well. And he presented this information at a medical conference and he was basically dismissed. Um, Interesting. Huh. And, and there's several, I mean, there's just tons and tons of evidence. I think it's Abraham Hoffer who says that let's not let another 70 years um, go by before the proper use of vitamin C begins because it's really mm -hmm. been substantially documented over the last 70, 80 years about how great vitamin C is not only as a mono treatment, but also in conjunction with other, with drugs as well. It can help with drugs. Um, it is an antiviral, it's an antitoxin, it's an anti-inflammatory and antioxidant. Um, yeah. and, and so this, this recommendation I was glad to see on here, which was 25 grams, 25,000 milligrams IV uh, twice a day for three days. So that's 50,000 a yeah. day for three days. And, mm -hmm. um, that's a good, a good number. I feel like that could really, you could see some big results um, in conjunction with some of these other things. Um, I know that I've heard some hospitals are not allowing more than like a thousand milligrams a day. Right, right. And I think that's what Dr. Corey was running into too. But I think uh, he's, uh, yeah, it looks like here, I, they, they might be letting him do it when the patients get in the ICU and are really having trouble. Uh, that's what it looks like here. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's something that I think it would be interesting. I would love to see our, um, our medical world start to um, utilize this a little bit in conjunction with their other therapies. Um, right, right. I know that actually Encore Medical Group will do intravenous vitamin C. Absolutely, um, we've done it, yeah. And I think um, the, uh, you know, the important thing to realize about something like that is there's really not a downside to it. Um, so why not? you know, why not try it? You know, I, I honestly, I'd rather get an IV vitamin C infusion and, and possibly avoid hospitalization, for example. Right. You know, so, um, yeah, why not try it? Right. And that's a um, thing I forgot. I actually did a vitamin infusions. Me and my whole family, we did vitamin infusions, not my kids, but all the adults who got it sure. um, did vitamin infusions. And we, um, you know, I did a Myers cocktail with 20,000 milligrams of vitamin C, vitamin B, mm -hmm. magnesium, um, right. some of the others did the virus drip, which was glutathione, NAC, and alpha lipoic acid. Right. So we keep those in mind too. And those are things I actually did mine before I even got sick, just because of how it timed out. But yeah, out of yeah. mind as a preventative, um, getting right. your levels up and as a treatment option. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, math, we talked about thiamine and then heparin. Heparin is a blood thinner. You know, again, that goes beyond uh, aspirin. Aspirin is a more of it just for antiplatelet effects. 
Right. Heparin actually interrupts the, um, the clotting cascade of the body. And so uh, again, it's gonna really work against uh, the, the hyperthrombotic effects that, that COVID seems to be calling, uh, causing. Right. Uh, so again, it's called Math Plus because he adds these other things, ivermectin, nitrosoxanide, and the antiandrogens, vitamin D, melatonin. These were all on the previous page as well. So uh, he's recommending that even if a patient's hospitalized, that they still continue to get these medications. Okay, that's very good. Well, and this is this is something that um, you know we need to be aware of. And and if you haven't seen this, or you know, you go to this website, print these protocols out so you have them. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Um, should we go on to the last one, or? Uh, let's see. Um... Oh, just the recovery one. I guess this yeah, is that's just recovery, right? Yeah. So right. that's there if anybody wants to um, to reference what they have. Um, mm -hmm. I'm actually working on. I've been uh, compiling some information about a long hauler recovery protocol of mm -hmm. nutraceuticals. Um, diet and lifestyle is certainly a big factor there as well. Yes. Uh, and, and there's a handful of different. Um, we have a product that's called. Um, Oh shoot, I'm just learning about it, but it's um it is basically helps. I guess your mitochondria gets pretty hammered with COVID. And mm. this product actually helps your body um rebuild that mitochondria for the um energy production in the cell, the ATP mm. production. Um, and so that's an important piece of that. I've also heard like chaga mushrooms are really good. Um and then yeah. I could go on with this stuff, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm working on a protocol just so you guys know that I'm I'll have here at the store. Um, right, and then this is a this is more of the recovery from a um, conventional or um, pharmaceutical approach. So there's some good recommendations mm -hmm. here as well. Um, yeah, there's a lot out there right now. In fact, uh, I'll, toward the end of our talk, I'll talk about the book that I've been reading, which is uh, the real Anthony Fauci. It's a really good book. I'd recommend it. It's uh, oh, highly yeah. researched, highly researched, and uh, it shows how. Um, Again, the medical establishment, uh, big pharma and stuff have really kind of been trying to suppress some other information that's out there that should be looked at, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, you you mentioned mushrooms. I, you know, he he mentioned some mushroom protocols in the book where you know uh, different different effects from, uh, you know. And again, the Chinese have probably known about these for years, right? Uh, but um, they seem to be uh, they seem to be helpful. Right, so for sure. Um, yeah, well, I've heard about that book. It's a, I think it's a, one of the best sellers right now in the, in the country, right. if not the world. Um, right. I, I keep hearing about it. I'll have to read it. I, I have a tendency to get too many books going though. And I need to yeah. finish some of the ones I'm doing, but yeah. yeah, it's interesting that, um, some of the things that, um, Fauci said about HIV initially that ended up not being true. Um, right that was that that kind of started out fairly similarly to what we're dealing with COVID and that they really um they were we really as a society kind of banished some people with HIV kind of from from classrooms and from because we could catch it from them which we later found out wasn't really the case wasn't the case yeah and, and the same with you think about leprosy we actually learned leprosy was uh maybe not as bad as we thought and that it actually mm -hmm. they've learned how to how to deal with it yeah uh, very yeah. well 
Yeah, and again, I think what we see in history is, uh, you know, for example, with uh, AIDS, he was pushing his uh, AZT as a treatment, which was probably just a toxic medication that was killing people, as opposed to really treating uh, the problem. Um, you know, I think the same is true nowadays with COVID with remdesivir, which I don't think is a really very helpful medication. It's quite toxic. Now, there is a medication that they're using now in the hospital, which I didn't mention, um, which is baricitinib, uh, otherwise known as Illumiant. It's, a, um, it's an anti-TNF, which you can take orally. Uh, and this is working to uh, work against that inflammatory cascade uh, and seems to be helping people. But mm -hmm. uh, again, you know, in my mind, why add the remdesivir when it's just this toxic right. uh, drug that really doesn't seem to have much uh, uh, much right. benefit? Do, um, have you heard or, or read about it causing kidney failure and and also after a few days and then also possibly filling up your lungs with fluid? Is that something that happens? It, it, it you know, it's a it's a it's a toxic drug against essentially all your cells, you know, so um, I don't see any benefit to it. So, you know, honestly, if uh, one of, you know, a listener or a loved one ends up in the hospital, you know, and they ask if that medication should be tried, I would personally turn it down. But I would also, I would also consider the, uh, the other medication that I mentioned, which is baricitinib. Okay. Um, so anyway, just, just to throw that out there. Right. Um, okay, so um, uh, do you mind if we go just a little over? To what? Um, if we go just a little over, because we have- Oh yeah, no, we're, we're good. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Thank you, sir. Um, so tell me, I, you know, one of the, I think the, really the basic arguments early on with um, the vaccine was that, um, you know, you're doing what's best for other people, right? Because if you can stop yourself from getting it um, and then stop it spreading, then we're helping, you know, this is a, this is a, a looking out for other people in our community. Even if maybe we're in good health and we're not gonna struggle with it, if we can stop the spread of the disease, then we're looking out for our community, right? And so right. I guess like one of my questions for you is, is it selfish to not get vaccinated against COVID? Well, you know, you mentioned you haven't been vaccinated. I have not been vaccinated. Um, certainly, I've, I've thought about those things. But honestly, uh, you know, if we're going to truly follow the science, as, the, as everybody likes to say, then it's clear that uh, whether you're vaccinated or not makes no difference in terms of your transmissibility to another person. In fact, um, many, many vaccinated people carry uh, the virus around. And uh, it, I think this has clearly been shown recently when we've seen the, for example, Gibraltar was one of the most vaccinated countries in the world and they had a big spike here recently. Israel, one of the most vaccinated countries in the world had a big, big spike recently. So it, it absolutely makes no difference in terms of transmission. Now, I'm not gonna you know, fuss at you because you get the vaccine, but but uh, you know, I think you need to see it for what it is, and that is, it's basically a palliative treatment. It's a treatment which may help reduce symptoms if you get the uh, if you get the vaccine. Right. But in my mind, uh, because I'm a basically a healthy guy, and you know, you're a healthy guy, 
I elected not to get the vaccine because I thought that my chances of a side effect were probably higher than uh, me having a bad problem with COVID, you know? So I think that's everybody's personal decision. I certainly don't agree with any mandate for such a thing. I think that's ridiculous and it should be fought against at every level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think there's a, there's a lot of unanswered questions um, to add to your points that, you know, what if this, what if this vaccine causes short-term or long-term harm to the person who gets it? Is, is it selfish to not get it? Um, What if, what if there's other available preventions and treatments that are just as, or, or, similarly effective or what if one size fits all isn't what's best for everybody you know exactly yeah. maybe somebody who's in a really bad shape um health-wise they're immunocompromised whether that's through their own choices or not through their own choices you right. know they have that option they can weigh the risk of that shot versus mm-hmm. the risk of their in their own situation you know right um, what if um what if like you said what if you can get it and spread it still you know, we yeah. believe in our situation with my family's house where we got it. We believe we actually got a vaccinated person, spread it to a vaccinated person in our family. And sure. then my unvaccinated household got it that way. You know, right. I, I, can I prove that without a shadow of doubt? No, but that's kind of what we think happened. And then we also right. have friends who had it at the same time as us and they were vaccinated and we weren't vaccinated. And it was virtually mm-hmm. the same illness for both households. Right, um, right. And I'm not saying it doesn't, there's not a potential help there for people. I, that's not, that's, you know, I don't, you, you need to weigh this for yourself and decide what's right for you. And and you need to look at the things from both sides of it and decide, you know, is the risk of this uh, worth taking, you know, there's certainly been experimental medications for cancer and all kinds of things that, you know, we come to a point where we need to do this. We're going to, we're willing to risk this because of what's at stake. Um, Well, for me, it didn't make make medical sense. And for me, I also had a religious objection to it, Mm -hmm. you know, because they they frankly did use uh, an abortive cell line to develop these mRNA vaccines. And I just, you know, in my conscience, I I have a hard time with that. So, I mean, there's there's multiple reasons why I chose not to get the vaccine. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not judging anybody who does. And I think, uh, you know, if you had done this correctly, you asked at the beginning what we've done nationally. I think um, what I would have perhaps loved to have seen done is say, you know, okay, we've got this experimental vaccine. Uh, let's give it to the nursing home patients, to the people that are, could really do badly if, um, if they're going to, you know, if, right. if they get COVID. And uh, let's leave everybody else alone. And uh, let's let the thing run its course, you know, and I think uh, we probably would have had better results. Right. I feel like what we're seeing in a lot of ways is that it seems to me as we see, you know, people who are vaccinated getting it and um, people who are not vaccinated getting it. It's like at the end of the day, it's possible that we're all just going to have to face this thing. Exactly. Whatever we whatever path we choose is right for ourselves and our family. We're going to have to face this thing. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it felt in a lot of ways to me early on, um, coming from the perspective in the field that I come from, that we were just kind of de- de- trying to delay the inevitable. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, he has some key players who uh, were able to 
um, you know, profit greatly from it. And so greed gets greed gets into play there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it felt like, you know, we were just supposed to go hide in a hole and right. let our immune systems and our lives go into the darkness uh, yeah. and wait for a pharmaceutical to come save us when yeah. all the while there was many things we should have been doing to boost our right. physical, mental and spiritual health the whole time, you know, and yeah. Yeah. what step one might be uh, turning off the news because yeah. The last thing we need is to be living in a state of fear and having tons mm -hmm. of cortisol hor hormone pumped into our bodies every exactly. day. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, you know, we don't, you know, is it possible that vaccinations like this uh, can cause mutations and variants? Um, is it possible that they can um, cause the virus people to have a stronger viral load? Is it mm -hmm. possible that these, you know, getting boosters over a long period of time can her really hurt your immune system is it yeah. possible that natural immunity is better than vaccine <laughs> immunity you know that there's quite a bit of evidence that supports these ideas um, yeah. i'm i'm personally not uh, hitching my wagon to any of these these theories just yet you know i have things that i probably lean to but at the same time i i think if science has taught us anything in the course of human history it's that our theories are often wrong that's right yeah and we're continually learning new things and how and how how trustworthy has um the farm big pharma um proven itself to be you know we have a lot of bad history there of right. you know, producing drugs that had to be recalled or big lawsuits over um right. and people getting really hurt by those things like azt and right. and isn't it interesting that it happens to be vaccines that we're so interested in pushing and also vaccines that they have a liability, they have a waived liability um, since a law was passed in 1982 to give them immunity from right. anybody to sue them from these vaccines. And so, right, right. You know, and, and since that time, we've had a huge increase in childhood vaccination schedules from yeah. somewhere around 20 doses to 72 doses in those yeah. few decades. And well, there's, uh, I mean, huh? As an example, there's, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't let any of my kids get the Gardasil vaccine, for example, you know, if, uh, you know, again, many of these vaccines are developed to prevent things that are going to be extremely rare anyway. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the, the chances of side effects are, are much worse, I right. think, right. you know. The, the VAERS, which is the Vaccine Adverse uh, Event Reporting System, does right. not work very well because, frankly, um, you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of the bad, a lot of the bad effects are not recorded. Right. You know, sometimes uh, bad effects from vaccines, you know, someone will go talk to their doctor about, and they'll typically be dismissed. You know, mm -hmm. oh, that couldn't have been from the vaccine. You know, right. and we hear this. I've heard this multiple times from multiple people. So. It's not, um, you know, I think particularly when we have an untested situation like this, it's good to be cautious, you know? So. Right, right, exactly, yeah. Um, There's a lot in that book I showed earlier that about the, the whole, uh, essentially using the African continent uh, for the last several decades as guinea pigs for experimental viruses, or sorry, experimental vaccines. And I think it's just criminal what's been done, um, you know, and how they've even uh, worked on decreasing fertility among African women 
by hiding things in the vaccines, you know, so, so, you know, there, there'll be a lot for, for these folks to answer for, you know, when they stand before God in judgment. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, I'd like to, I'd like to reveal yeah. and, and learn what I can. I think we should all learn what we can, you yeah. know, and learn what's out there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and at the end of the day, you know, um, we can eat healthy exercise, but yeah. we're going to die anyway. And none of us are going to get out of here. You know, we're, we're going to get gonna, out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Except and, on the last day. You know? Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, yeah. the thing is, ultimately, um, you know, and I actually wrote this uh, COVID preparedness checklist early on yeah. in COVID. Yeah. And, um, you know, I may have gotten a little distracted at times, but um, my, the checklist was COVID preparedness checklist. Number one, get right with God. Amen. Amen. Number two, yeah. find ways to love others. Yeah. Number three, get healthy and boost your immune system. Yeah. Um, and I just added this one because of recent uh, things we've been learning. Number four, figure mm -hmm. out what prevention and treatment options are best for you and how yeah. to get them. And number five, be responsible. Let's, let's not go out and, you know, when we're sick or, or whatever and be irresponsible, but, but don't right. live in fear because right. that's going to bring you, bring your health down and make you much less yeah. uh, able you know, yeah. and, and, you know, we, um, you know, well, God has not given us yeah. a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind or yeah. know, love, power, discipline. I mean, you know, and your first, your first point is essential. You know, I mean, we can be in the greatest health in the world, but, you know, we are going to die one day. And, and, uh, how do we get right with God? We only get right with God through Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, that we have to, recognize that uh he was the perfect one you know he lived a perfect life he died a perfect death for us yeah. and uh we can you know we can have eternal life if we'll repent and believe you know we have to believe him yeah. we have to believe his word you know yeah so yeah amen to that you know mm -hmm. the bible tells us uh to fear not 365 times that's one for yeah. every day of the year that's uh, right and the bible tells us that um all wisdom begins with the fear of the lord so we are we are told in the in the bible through god's word that we are to fear god mm -hmm. but we are not to fear things of this life that's right um, and be afraid it, it mm -hmm. says don't fear he who can kill the body fear right. him who can kill both body and soul yeah and, right. and so you know that's number one you know we have there are things with eternal value and there are things that mm -hmm. are just um a temporary temporary part of this life and so we got to have our priorities right and i think um you know uh i love that point about repent and belief you know john the mm -hmm. baptist came before jesus to prepare mm -hmm. the way he preached repentance right. and jesus mm -hmm. preached believe in the in um the kingdom and he preached salvation right. mm -hmm. so do we see light at the end of the tunnel I do. I mean, I honestly think what will happen with this virus is what's going it's what's happened with other viruses in the past. And that is it becomes weaker. It becomes more attenuated. And at some point it sort of, you know, maybe doesn't necessarily go out of existence, but uh, it becomes more manageable uh, for the general population. You know, our immune systems are an amazing creation of God and they, you know, I mean, you and I have been exposed to this. So the next time, you know, next go around, hey, we may get a little sick, but 
But uh, just like the common cold, I mean, I think this is going to become like the common cold, honestly, for most people um, at, some, at, the, at some point. So to be, uh, to be constantly talking about, you know, vaccination, booster, 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 booster. I mean, I think we're, you're trying to basically chase your tail around a tree. Um, and ultimately, I think it's time for Americans and for everybody in the world just to say, hey, this is something we're living with something that most of us are going to do just fine with and you know let's not worry about it yeah. so right yeah and i i think that's a really good point and um i do think we're going to see light at the end of the tunnel as well i think we're going to you know the challenge is as big as the opportunity and so we have a right. pretty big opportunity in front of us to turn mm -hmm. things in in the medical world I, you know i don't think we have to have this thing where it's this diametrically opposed things of conventional right. versus natural you know, That's right. It, 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 these things can be merged together and work together. Mm -hmm. It's not one or the other. We need to be utilizing yeah. everything that's available. And as you can see, I mean, with with the protocol that we put up there, I mean, that is it's natural and it's medical. So yeah. we're using different things, and I think we're learning to. Um, I think it would behoove us all, you know, to learn. Hey, what are the compounds out there that are in nature that that God's put there? to uh to help us you yeah. know for inflammation or help us with uh, antiviral properties whatever it may be right you know mentioned mushrooms you mentioned uh nigella sativa i mean all these you know natural products that um, may be very helpful you know right. if someone right. will just be open-minded enough to actually study them and right and uh you know find out what's there right know? and and just because you can't patent what's in nature and mark it up three thousand percent doesn't mean <laughs> that we shouldn't be using it right and exactly. it does and yeah, we should be, and we may never see a, a double blinded control trial on some of these right. because there's not enough money to be made in them to do no. the study. So we got to also not only just go off what has been double blinded, blah, 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 but yeah. we should go off what we know over the thousands of years of human history and mm -hmm. our own experiences. Well, and, and you know, you mentioned double blinded studies and, and what's, uh, what's really a shame Oops, I lost me. Wait a minute. Let me return to my picture here. Yeah, you're good. What's really a shame is that, um, you know, some of the so-called double-blinded studies that have been done for these medications that they've pushed through or the vaccines that they've pushed through have really not been double-blinded studies at all. What they've been is uh, where they've essentially, let's say, compared one medication to another medication. Right. In other words, where they haven't had a true uh, a true control group and you'll find that out in the book you know it's pretty it's pretty interesting information i mean there's um you know if we're truly going to do randomized double blind studies um we have to do them correctly you know right. and uh anyway that's just a, and a, a side note but right. uh, no, I, and another thing that's interesting about some of the, I, there's actually some if you start to read about some of the things that go on it, there's actually a um quite a bit of I guess straight up just lying that happens in in the medical and let's call it what it is. Yeah, right. So scientific community yeah. and like like for mm -hmm. instance, it's standard practice, so everybody does it. But when you do a test for a drug, you're seeing what the actual risk reduction is and what right. um, um, relative risk reduction is. No, it's absolute right. risk reduction and relative risk reduction. Mm -hmm. And one of them you like divide. I have to remember it's like divide by a percentage or something where it gives you like this really high number. Mm -hmm. even, though, even though like the risk reduction the absolute might have been 
um, you have reduced your risk 51%. Mm -hmm. And then the relative was like actually um, 0.1% or something. Right. I don't, I'm not going to butcher this, but the point is, it's like they're advertising that relative risk reduction when the absolute is virtually not even helpful. Um, right, right. And, mm -hmm. and then there's other things like with placebo, with um, double blinded control trials. Well, mm -hmm. if you do like a blood pressure drug, for instance, and mm -hmm. we're learning how powerful the placebo effect is, because mm -hmm. if you go do this study and you have, you give half the people a sugar pill and half the people a blood pressure medication uh -huh. study, and you tell them half of you have a blood pressure medication, mm -hmm. and this is what this common practice is. Well, half the, you know, they're like, well, I got a 50 50 chance. So sometimes people improve, even though they haven't gotten the drug. Right. right. Well, they might mm -hmm. improve, even though they're getting the drug, just because they think they're getting a drug that's helping their mm -hmm. blood pressure. And right. so actually that, um, one of the doctors I've been reading brings that out and it virtually invalidates all of the studies on drugs over the last several decades, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, just that effect. And so that's an interesting thing. You know, there's one, one more thing I wanted to ask about because I think some people are a little, um, I've heard a couple people talking about how if they had antibodies, like they got an antibody test and they have antibodies, oh, right. you know, right. does this mean you're not going to get it? And does this mean you should just go on and act like nothing's going to happen? And I, um, I think we need to make sure we're not taking it lightly. What are your thoughts? Right. On so antibodies, you know, will be present. Um, you know, they start to increase. I think it's a few weeks after after infection, and then they reach a peak, and then they start to tail off again. But just because you don't have antibodies six months later, or nine months later, or a year later, doesn't mean that you don't have some significant right immunity based on, you know, based on cell mediated immunity. So, um, you know, just an absolute antibody level, I don't think means a whole lot, frankly. If, if we all got COVID and we got through it, um, I, think, I think there's a significant degree of natural immunity, no matter what the, uh, no matter what the antibody levels are. Right. Yeah. And I, you know, and I, but I don't think we should put, go to the bank on that either. Um, right. You know, I think, I think you, you shouldn't just say, oh, I have antibodies and then just go, you know, have a terrible diet and lifestyle and do nothing. No, that's right. Or treat, yeah. right. I um, mean, I think there should be a wake up call for people, you know, yeah. hey, let's get healthy. Let's get down to a proper weight. Let's exercise right. regularly. Gets, you know, let's make sure we got the, the, the right uh, D levels. You know, I mean, all this is, uh, it's, it's so, it's really important, you know? Right, absolutely. Well, um, doctor, uh, it's really been a privilege talking to you and I really appreciate your time. And um, thank you, Blake. I, I'm super excited that you're uh, working out up, at least for the interim up at Encore Medical yeah. Group. And thank and, you. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to see, um, you know, t for some more options to um, start growing in our community. Um, and across the country where we have a little more of a um, family practice, private medicine, mm -hmm. where we can have a little more say where there's not, it's not, there's a little more freedom in our treatment. And it's not, uh, you right. know, some of the, some of the, you know, there's certainly advantages to getting big and having a big system. Um, mm -hmm. 
and we and there's certainly perks to that but there's also you know when you get to be a bigger organization it's sometimes hard to turn a barge it's a little easier to build a life raft. Right. Right. Um, and so sometimes we need uh we need organizations that are a little more nimble and able to adjust more quickly mm -hmm. to things. Um, right. and also some and also um something somebody a doctor who um i like a doctor who is going to listen to me and what i prefer and and help me find a treatment um and mm -hmm. and, and practices that are best for me and my health and my right. beliefs um right. you know it's like if i go to a car salesman i he shows me all the options and then mm -hmm. i pick what's best for me right he he doesn't right. say no you can only buy this red pickup right. it's like i don't mm -hmm. want a red pickup you know and <laughs> And so if yeah. we, you know, I think if we get back to a little more of the free market in our health system where mm -hmm. there's options, um, where we get to, you know, let people vote with their dollars and let people right. um, learn what's best for them through experience and results, right? right. And even if uh -huh. we change something as simple as insurance regulation to allow it to cover more natural, I think you would see natural mm -hmm. people, people go conventional most of the time just because it's what their right. insurance pays. If right. you change it to where it covers more naturally, you're going to start to see natural catch up a little to conventional. It's mm -hmm. not conventional is not going to go away, but there's going right. to be more level playing field and we're going to have a little more free market competition mm -hmm. and we're going to get some better results. We're not going to have one huge thing coming like what we're seeing now is like this, this almost like beast, like, you know, tell, forcing things on us. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and that's not right. You know, there's not medical medical tyranny is not what we need um right. you know dr benjamin rush actually uh said this um he was the physician of george washington and he was one of the signers of declaration of independence but he said right. if we don't put medical freedom in the constitution there will be a day when people use come to use it as a medical tyranny situation right uh, and, and we're kind of seeing the fulfillment of those worlds so hopefully one of the lights at the end of the tunnel and one of the good things that comes out of this is we get some defining medical freedom into our constitution right. Uh, right. and so and affirm some of the things that are already there that do um affirm uh, somebody's bodily autonomy and right. their, their right to pursue life mm -hmm. liberty and happiness that's right um doctor again thank you so much and i really appreciate your time and all your wisdom that you shared today and and going through that i think that's going to be really helpful for people to um have had you go through that flccc protocol Mm -hmm. Again, you can find Dr. Woodworth um, through Encore Medical Group here in the Grand. So I encourage you guys to reach out. And uh, and again, thank you so much, Doctor. God bless you. you. God bless you. Thank you. And thanks so much. You have a great yeah. day. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye.